All right. John chapter 15, verse 8. This is number five in this series called I Chose You. And Jesus said in John 15 and 8 to his disciples, and by extension, he speaks to you and I this morning, saying, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. So the Lord wants us to be fruitful. But remember this, what an awesome thought that my following Jesus my doing the will of God, all of those things don't depend on the strength of my commitment because I did not choose him. He chose me. I'm with him because he picked me. He chose me and he chose you. So when, when you are struggling and you feel weak and, and you're thinking, what did I get myself into? I, I'm not I'm not that holy. I'm, I'm having a difficult time. Just remember the strength of a greater decision, a decision Jesus made at Calvary's cross to choose you. He came into the world to choose you. Remember when you're at your weakest, you are chosen of God. Isn't it wonderful to know that sitting on the throne of God is a heavenly Father who loves you. He is for you. He wants you. So when your resolve and your response to Him, choosing Him back, is weak, remember that he loves you and he's not going to let go. Praise the Lord. So I've not chosen you, uh, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, the Lord said, so that you might bear fruit. This morning, I want to talk about fidelity. How many of you think you have a pretty good handle on the word fidelity? You know what fidelity means. Yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, we don't use that word a whole lot today, but I'm going to share with you a little bit about what it means. It is so essential. If you are going to walk with God, if you're going to know Him, if you're going to know that He chose you, if you're going to bear fruit, you must know what fidelity means because you have to practice it between you and God. The word fidelity simply means faithfulness or loyalty. So you know what loyalty means. You know what being faithful means. You combine those and wrap them up. That's what fidelity Having integrity is another way of saying it. But integrity doesn't cover it enough because it literally means being loyal and being faithful to what you're loyal to. That constitutes fidelity. Well, we're surrounded by a culture that pushes promotion without process. And it's causing us to lose sight of the necessity for managing our lives with fidelity. In today's world, fidelity is seldom practiced beyond being faithful to your own plans or your methods uh, for success in life or getting where you want to go. That's usually where we think of practicing fidelity. You know, if you're reading a self-help book, it might say, if you're faithful to these principles, one, two, three, you'll arrive at your goal. And that's usually where we practice fidelity, and that's often, sadly, where our fidelity ends off. People will practice faithfulness or fidelity to a program, as I said, promising success. But it's internal fidelity where our true strength and character and what it takes to be successful comes from. In the Old Testament, when God set the prophet Samuel to select a king to replace Saul because Saul lacked fidelity, 
Saul wasn't loyal to the Lord. He wasn't faithful to God. He started off with a bang, but then, you know, his inner life, which he didn't maintain before God. He was a man that put all of his focus into making sure that everyone saw him behaving like a king. But in his internal life, he wasn't faithful to God. Because when it came down to it, the things God told him to do, he wouldn't do. He would compromise them. And so God was going to replace him. And so he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. And there he said, you're going to find the next king. And Jesse had, what, seven sons? And so he said to Jesse, bring your boys and line them up. And he, of course, brought the oldest. And he was a big strapping lad and everything. And Samuel stands in front of him. I think his name was Abinadab or, or something like that. I, I don't know why they didn't have Jeff and Mike and everything. It would have been so much easier. But... He stands in front of Abinadab and he says within himself, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Look at him. Look at how big he is. And, you know, he just was an uh, impressive young man. But the Lord said to the prophet Samuel, he said, nope, he's not the one. So they said, all right, bring the next one. He went right down through all six of them. He said, you got any others? God said, no, none of these are it. None of these are the one. And he said, you got another one? I said, yeah, but we didn't bring him in because he's like a runt and he's, uh, he's just weird. He's quirky. We got him out in the field. He's attending uh, to the sheep. And Samuel said, bring him in. And of course, it was David who became King David of Israel. But God said this to the prophet Samuel in the midst of that story. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, now listen carefully because this is how God thinks. Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, today's Christians have been led by preachers and teachers, and they've been led to think that practicing faithfulness to outward plans the three-step plan to this, the five-step plan, the six-step program, that practicing faithfulness to external plans is more important than practicing loyalty to God with our internal life. There is no substitute for internal fidelity between you and God. Nothing can substitute. And faithfulness to external commitments can never help you recover the damages of a reckless and sinful internal life. Only God can restore a wrecked home. When you wreck the home that is your soul, that is your life, only God can put it back together. I don't care if the greatest prophet or the most loving pastor, the smartest theologian, has put together seven steps from the Word of God, submitting yourself to some kind of step program is not going to solve that inner chaos and clutter in your life if you won't manage the way you think if you won't manage your life on the inside, you're never going to fix what's wrong on the outside with any external plan. 
In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to us and he says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. For the branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. That's where that severing from the vine takes place. It's when we allow our thoughts and our imagination to separate from God and from his word. And we feed off of the world and we feed off of other things and the opinions of others. And slowly and sometimes not so slowly, sometimes very quickly, deterioration sets in. And we lose fidelity on the inside. So Jesus said, you must remain in me and I will remain in you. The branch, you are the branch. You cannot produce fruit if you're severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus opens up by saying, remain in me. That's his way of calling you to practice fidelity with him. When he says, remain in me, it's more than remaining in church. It's more than, than simply remaining in a little devotional book on occasion or occasionally reading your Bible or, or occasionally praying when things start looking like, you know, we've hit an iceberg and it's going to go down. Jesus says remain, which means live, abide 24-7, seven days a week. You must maintain fidelity with me or you will not bear fruit. And indeed, you cannot bear fruit. You know, Jesus personally, all of his external temptations when he was in the wilderness being tempted of the devil were attempts by Satan to get inside his head and create cracks in his fidelity with the Father. That's what Satan was after. It was to take a crowbar to Jesus' mind and get him to back down from his faithfulness, his fidelity. Listen to me this morning. All external compromise and sin has its origin in an undisciplined mind not set upon the word of God. Christian, your promotion in life flows from your fidelity with Jesus, beginning with a disciplined soul and manifested in an obedient behavior. That is where fidelity begins and where it comes from. This morning, I want to talk about Joseph. Most of you are familiar. Um, if you don't read your Bible, you probably saw the play. So you're probably familiar with the, the little boy with the many, many colored coat. How many of you know the story, at least the basic story of Joseph? It'll save me from having to go through all that. You got it, okay? Yes, praise God. So just the few points that I want to hit about Joseph, though, was God had called him from a young and tender age. God saw something in him. God had a great plan for his life. And it began with his brothers turning on him and selling him into slavery uh, to a slave trader caravan, taking him down to a foreign land and dumping him in Egypt where he would spend the rest of his life never returning to the land of Canaan, never coming back to his homeland. And we know that Joseph went through, he went through 
the three levels of hell, figuratively speaking. You know, Potiphar's house, then the prison, then the deep inner prison. Before in one day, God delivered and brought him out and made him the prime minister of Egypt, the largest empire on the face of the earth at its time. Joseph's story is for you and I today because it has everything to do with fidelity. In the woke world that Joseph lived in, in the woke world today, rather, Joseph's story would be a story of um, God promoting a victim because he had suffered wrongfully. And that's the way they would read the story about Joseph. He was wrongfully uh, um, uh, plotted against, and so social justice dictates that he should be brought out and recompense be made to him. And that's the way they would tell the story in the woke world of today. But their moral to the story would have been right and wrong being hammered out, like I said, on an anvil of social justice. But in the real world, the moral of Joseph's story is that divine deliverance and promotion was hammered out on the anvil of faithfulness and fidelity to God. The lesson of Joseph is simply this. Vision is fulfilled by promotion through process. That Joseph's betrayal in pot by his brothers, that the terror of being made a slave in a foreign house, and all that he went through eventually down into prison, and all the years of suffering, was simply the process that would lead to promotion. His story of God being with him didn't begin when he came out of prison and God delivered him and the wrong was righted. The story began when he had his dream of favor with God and everything that happened after that, all the terrible things that happened were the hand of God moving on his life, putting him, moving him into position so that God could use him. But before God could use him, he had to develop him. God promotes us through process. He doesn't just take us and say, you know, you've really got some talent. And I like the way you dream. Joseph was a dreamer. I like those dreams. Uh, those dreams correspond with what I want to do. So you know what? Um, I like, I'm going to promote you and I'm going to use you. It doesn't work that way, does it? In Psalm 105, verse 16 through 22, the Bible says, God called for a famine on the land of Canaan and cut off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. He became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides. He was pleased and, uh, as, as he pleased or as he wished and, and taught the king's advisors. So the Bible says that God led him 
into Potiphar's house where he was betrayed and then down into the prison, into Pharaoh's prison, the Bible says God sent him. God sent him. This, this, wasn't, this wasn't Pharaoh being prejudiced or having a temper tantrum. God sent Joseph through that process because although he was ordained to rule and reign and become the prime minister of Egypt right under the Pharaoh, there was a process he had to undergo so that he would have fidelity, so that he would be honorable on the inside to God. And anywhere along the line, he could have said, I'm in a foreign country. There are no Jews down here. These are all Egyptians. They worship false gods, a pantheon of gods. Why, why should I bother being faithful to God? doesn't matter to anybody who's around me. I just make my own way. And sometimes we try to walk our walk with the Lord that way. We turn it on when we're going to be under the microscope and we just basically um, assimilate into the culture of the world. But Joseph didn't do that. He remained faithful in Potiphar's house and it ended up getting him thrown into prison. And in prison he was faithful through all the years that he was there. Under lock and key and in prison, he remained faithful to God, interpreting dreams when people would have dreams that God gave them. He was faithful. The frightening and incapable fact, or excuse me, inescapable fact, the frightening and inescapable fact is that God sent Joseph through abuse, betrayal, depression, and slavery from Pharaoh's prison before promoting him to the court of Pharaoh, to Pharaoh's house. And why would God do that? Why would God do a thing like that? I don't think our theology today even has room for such a concept that God would put us through a condition like that in order to get us where he wants us to be, where he could trust us with his authority and trust our thought process. Because if you're only willing to be faithful to God under favorable circumstances, you'll never be faithful to him when the blessings and promotions come with all of their temptations. You just won't. It's human nature. Today, in our country that we live in, in America, we are selling our sons and daughters into slavery in Egypt, forsaking the process, just teaching that people are entitled to promotion and they ought to get promotion and people just run out in life make every effort to grab whatever opportunity comes to them. But in a foreign and hostile culture where the social systems had no regard or respect for fidelity, Joseph practiced faithfulness before God. And the more he did it, the deeper into the darkness of the prison it sent him until only God could deliver him and bring him out. Can you say amen? In our culture today, and I say all this to bring this point, bring this to a point, you are left to rely on your conscience 
and your Bible and your prayer life, you and Jesus alone. You are left to rely and, and develop your faithfulness between you and God because our social structure, our social system, even in our churches, do not provide support for following Jesus and making him Lord of our lives. And God knew that he needed a man who would rely upon him from his heart no matter who encouraged him, no matter how bad the circumstances got. Can you say amen? amen? From churches to schools, from society to government, all of our institutions have been infiltrated and corrupted with the worst kind of moral cowardice and compromise. And so today, if you don't learn how to be faithful and have fidelity, and be faithful to Jesus, be faithful to him alone, when it's just you and you're by yourself. You're not going to make it. When you want fidelity and integrity in our culture today, you're on your own. You're going to have to be faithful to the Lord, and you're going to have to stake out your own claim and set your own boundaries and set your own homestead with God. Living in the kingdom of God is based on the model of rural farming, not on the beehive of social services. In our culture today, we make dependency upon other people a way of life. But the model of scripture is that every man and every woman must learn to stand with God on their own. It's great to have fellowship. And the church should be a place where we are mutually encouraged and edified. But it's not a substitute for your relationship with Jesus Christ. It can't replace your relationship with him. And that's a good thing. The reason is, is because if there's a Jesus and if he really is God, then he's able to keep you. He is able to hold you up. All we can do is encourage you to be faithful to him. He will be faithful to you. The truth that Jesus is the shepherd of our souls is what makes us stand in the face of all kinds of compromise and challenge in our life. It's called fidelity for a reason because God is building through the lordship of Jesus over our life fidelity in us so that he can shepherd us through this life and his light through us can be an encouragement to others. Fidelity flourishes in the free space of fellowship with God. If when you leave church, you get in your car and you go home, you leave the only space that you really get serious with God in, you're not going to stand. Because God's keeping hand is not the church, it's you and your relationship with him. This morning, if there's any point to this message, that point is that God has given us his word and he sent the Holy Spirit into our heart to keep us faithful to him. Joseph is the story of a man who was faithful to God when there was absolutely nothing in his environment, nothing in his surroundings that helped him to stay faithful. Whether he was faithful to God or not, 
Nobody cared. Nobody was going to rebuke him and say, have you been reading your Bible today? When's the last time you prayed? Have you been obeying the Lord? There was nobody in Potiphar's house. There was nobody in prison. There was nobody in Pharaoh's court. Nobody is going to check up on you and say, have you been faithful to God? That's why God is God. There is no social structure that God has designed, not even the structure of his church, with its imperative to encourage us to be faithful to the Lord among ourselves. That is no replacement. And it can't replace you putting your claim stake down in your relationship with God and saying, Satan, you're not going to enter my heart, my mind. You're not getting a hold of my life. Resisting the enemy, standing on the word of God. There is a reason to take up your cross and follow Jesus. There is a reason to do it personally because nobody can do it for you. The church can't do it for you. Fidelity flourishes in the free space of fellowship with God. But in the crowded elevator of the urban environment that we live in today, people-pleasing is the way most people remain upright, is depending on, on others to brace them up and keep them doing what they know they ought to do. What if nobody's there? What if everybody leaves you? What if you're on your own? Are you going to walk with Jesus? Is he only Lord in church? Or is he Lord when you're on your job or when you're at home and nobody's watching? You've heard this message. We've heard it all our life. But in the hour that we live in, there is a spirit of hostility that has come upon the land. And the precursor to real persecution against people that take Jesus seriously and want to walk obedient before him is brewing and stirring and right around the corner. And if you and I don't make up our minds and decide that we're going to practice fidelity with God, that he's Lord of my inner life, then we're not going to stand. Can you say amen? amen? Matthew 5 and 37, Jesus said, Let your yes be simply yes. Let your no be simply no. Anything more than this comes from the devil, comes from the evil one. Gone is the courage in our society today to simply stand and say yes, yes, no, no. We live in a culture society today that, that, that simply wants us to, to constantly affirm one another because that's what it takes for us to stand. We don't know what it means to stand by yourself in an Egyptian prison where nobody knows God and nobody cares whether you do. That's why Jesus is Lord of your personal life. That's your temple. That is the sacred ground of your life. Somebody say amen. amen. Proverbs 8 and 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance. The evil way and the froward mouth, God says, I do hate. So there is a way of the Lord and you can't depend on the structure of church to keep you where you're supposed to be because Jesus is not Lord in this house. He's Lord in your life. He's Lord in this house. 
Somebody say amen. You'll never have fidelity with God without hating the corruption that tries to form in your own weakness. We are like slaves in Egypt, totally dependent on fidelity with God without any social support. And you know what? The Bible calls that an overcomer. When it gets down to the point in your life where you stop depending on how other people treat you, stop depending on, on how things go in your life, to get up every day and to be obedient to the Lord, to read His Word, to make sure that you're walking in the Holy Spirit, to maintain your inner life. That's what it takes to be an overcomer, to live as Joseph did in Egypt. Remember Joseph, because fidelity with God doesn't require social support. It's great to have church, but there's too many Christians today that are living off of church going. Now, I want you back here next Sunday. <laughs> but it's not because I need a job or that I need to have you here. It's because Jesus cares about us and he's called us together to fellowship together to build one another up, to encourage one another. But we don't live in this room. We don't live in this sanctuary. We live with Jesus. And when you go, I hope you go with him. And I hope he is Lord of your life. Because if like Joseph, you find yourself in Potiphar's house being lied about by his wife and then thrown into prison, and then from there being thrown into the, the deep, dark hole of a political prison, with no hope that you're ever going to get out, will you serve God in that place? Will you serve Jesus in that place? Some Christians, you can't even get into serve God in church. I mean, it really is ridiculous. We come together, the, Bible's, the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, shout God, the voice of tribe. And there's some people that when it says, clap your hands, they just jam their hands on their pockets, and I ain't doing it. I ain't, they can't make me do it. Can't make me do it. I don't have to do it. I don't have to do, you know, I don't feel like doing it. There's that, it, that independent spirit, you know. But what are you going to do? How are you going to stand? How are you going to be an overcomer when you can't even obey God with the inner closet of your life? Fidelity is letting Jesus be Lord of the internal part of your life. The Bible says in Psalm 75 and 6, Honor does not come from the east or from the west, nor lifting up from the south, but I am the judge putting down one and lifting up another. Jesus is Lord, and it is making him Lord of our life. No matter who is there to encourage us to do the right thing or not, that is what truly matters because that is what's going to cause you to be his and he can lift up and keep you and carry you and he'll carry you across that finish line but if you throw your responsibility on the church you throw your responsibility on people treating you right in your home 
You throw your responsibility to be faithful to God on how you're acknowledged or not acknowledged in society. That special grace that is promised to us, that grace that Joseph discovered in the bowels of the Egyptian prison when he was facing spending the rest of his life in that dark. And the Bible says that his feet and his hands were put into iron. So he wasn't just down in the jail, wandering around playing checkers with the other prisoners in the rec room. The Bible says they laid his soul in irons. Back then when you went to jail, you went to jail. And there he was facing a life in irons. And the Bible says so deep and so penetrating was the oppression of the experience of that Egyptian prison that it says they laid his soul in irons. Yet in the core of his being, he was faithful to God. They laid his soul in irons, but he refused to be a slave to sin and to give up and just say to heck with it. Who cares? If this is worthless, what does it matter? My brothers aren't here. My father's, I'm not even, I'm not even in my father's land. What does it matter to serve God? But he stayed faithful. Faithful in the very last thread, the core of his soul. Faithful to the Lord. And that's what God was waiting for. And listen to me. God could not pull him out of that prison and put him on the throne as the prime minister of the largest empire on the face of the earth until he had gotten down to the point where he would be faithful in the bowels of the prison of Egypt. The moment that he was faithful and he got to that place and he was tested, the Bible says he was tried, God, uh, the, the Pharaoh, uh, they laid his soul in irons. That's how deep and penetrating it became, but he would not give up. He was faithful to God. Sometimes, what does it take to get you and I to give up? I don't even want to start talking about it. What does the devil have to troll in front of your nose to get you to go, what the heck, forget this, and off we go? Are you listening to me? If you think that the world today has some potent temptations, you haven't seen anything yet, because the Bible talks about a time coming. It's falling upon us right now. We're so incredible, so new, so potent, so powerful, unimaginatively potent will the level of temptation be that no flesh would make it or be saved unless the days were shortened. Christians aren't going to make it because they're churchgoers. Christians aren't going to make it only following half of the word when they feel like it and the other half of the scripture, the command of, of God when it's convenient for them. You're not going to make it. In these last days that we're moving into, the only people that are going to make it are overcomers. And an overcomer is a Joseph whose body is in irons, but that iron won't penetrate into his soul, into his heart. I will not give up faithfulness to God. Remember the apostles? They arrested him, threw him into, beat them first. You didn't want to go to jail like you go to jail today. They arrested you, 
clubbed you, beat you up, then threw you in irons, and you got to sleep in there. And there they were at midnight, what, singing praises? Praising, I couldn't beat the praise out of them. Joseph, it says, they laid his soul in irons. But when that iron got down to the marrow of his soul, guess what? Praise and faithfulness and obedience to God was there. You can't break, you can't break a heart that God has touched, but not just that God's touched, but that you've reached back and taken hold of that reaching down hand and you are in covenant with him. You will not give up because you don't have to, especially now that the Holy Spirit has come and God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart crying, Abba, Father. We have the advocate living inside. We're not overcomers because the right people got elected and things are going our way. We're not overcomers because people acknowledge our goodness. My goodness, you know, we have witnessed, not here, but, but we've witnessed in the body of Christ, whole revolts within churches because somebody didn't like the way the sermon went. And maybe the, maybe the sermon was all goofed up, but I mean, we can't stand. Christians are, are right now poised to be literally just wiped right out of the field where they're planted and drawn into Satan's prison of darkness because our roots are not really in Jesus. Listen, honor does not come from the east or from the west or, or uplifting from the south, but it comes from the Lord, from God. Hallelujah. And so, I, you know, I'm just going to finish this by saying to you this morning, Fidelity. Fidelity is what God is building in your life. And if you let the Lord lead you, you are not going to bypass Potiphar's house. You're not going to bypass the prison of Egypt. You're going to go through it. What it looks like in your life, I don't know. But the Bible says the irons of Egypt tried the soul of Joseph. And when he was finished, the very day the sun rose, on the day that God was finished trying him, it set that day with Joseph sitting on the throne of Egypt. God can turn your situation around and promote you that fast, but God help you that it doesn't happen before you are fully committed to him and that you make that commitment in your life that's what we need today, praise the Lord. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit. We are going to bear fruit in tumultuous times, and it's going to take fidelity. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning.